Welcome back to the Roll-Up High Roller community. As always, nothing on the Roll-Up is to be construed as financial advice. We are just some educators in the DeFi space. Toss us a quick like, give us a share, a repost, send it to a friend who may want to watch this. And finally, give us a sub or a follow. It means the world to help support credibly neutral educational content in DeFi. We're here to educate, empower, and enrich you. And let's jump in. Dude, welcome to the Roll-Up. Thank you for having me. Uh, so you were, you were telling us a little bit about Flipside. Um, the, the, uh, platform has 10,000 users, 80,000 users. I think you said, yeah, we've had like 150,000 signups, but in practice, that's more like 80,000 who actually run queries. Okay. Um, and essentially, uh, users run queries. Um, they query blockchain data with SQL. Yep. Um, and they use SQL to create dashboards um about about blockchain um about all kinds of things right applications chains protocols yeah so i mean uh, most popularly you'll see like two different groupings typically it's like blockchain stats themselves how many transactions blocks throughput transaction failure and then on the other side you'll get like protocol specific so for solana data i want to know about jupiter exchange for example um so protocols versus the chain themselves are the two generic groupings for dashboards and and you were talking about essentially the business model of Flipside, which is not necessarily profiting off of data queries or dashboards because data is cheap, but instead helping blockchains grow and now starting to focus more on the EVM space. Yeah, so our mission is to help blockchains grow. The data is a core part of that. You know, in 2017, we started as a fund. It was hard to be a fund in 2017 because all the coins were shit. You didn't know anything different between them. So we realized, oh, we got to actually like have data about the coins and the chains so you can actually differentiate between them. We got into the data space and we've been there for, you know, six years since, about to be seven. Um, and then, yeah, the business model for us has always been that data is cheap and data is really integral to the overall crypto ecosystem to grow. So we really don't want to charge for it. Um, so what we do is we have the studio, which is a SQL editor and the engine for dashboards. That's free. The goal is to keep that free forever. And then if you want professional enterprise, you know, programmatic access to data, we have that business offering for enterprise levels who need all the data replicated professionally, blah, 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 all that fancy stuff. And then the main business line, which is helping blockchains grow, where we try to be full service. So starting at zero, we mean like we're there for you in the test nets. We're running nodes. Once you're at a test net, we're talking about running nodes for staking, ideally getting a delegation of stakes so that we can make blocks. And then once we're getting revenue from making blocks and being involved in the chain, one, we're accruing tokens in the gas token. So where the incentives are aligned, we want growth. So are the tokens we get grow. And then we have the tokens to do actual programs. So whether it be, you know, top of funnel impression programs, like let's make really popular dashboards. Let's get people really deep in the data, doing marketing about data, uh, talking about what's good and what's bad and why. And then also like, you know, hackathons, new project developments on chains, um, that's the bread and butter for us is because it really aligns incentives. So data is like, it's important, but we're really trying to sell growth. Makes sense. And do you find that depending on the blockchain, they may have different, different priorities. Maybe there's a different target audience and then they, oh, yeah. they tend to approach growth in a different way. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't publish the four phases that we think about, but we generally think about it in four phases. Um, and the reason for that is because it differs in every ecosystem, but 
I mean, yeah, they're all layer ones, right? Whether it's Aptos, Suisse, Solana, Avalanche, Near, whatever, or maybe they're a really big protocol like Bridges, um, like XLR or something, whatever it is, they're going to have different KPIs, key performance indicators. They're going to have different goals, different reasonable targets. You know, like, oh, we want a million users every day. Okay, good luck. There's three chains that have that number. Let's get a reasonable number. And let's also talk about the quality differences. So a lot of it for us is like, not just helping them set up KPIs that are useful and relevant for them, but also like what's unique to them, what's their edge and how do they maximize that edge? So a lot of my work on data science is research, optimization, what works, what doesn't work. Um, and really treating these things as like unique places to do things. It's not, it's not all DeFi, it's all NFTs. Like these things have different use cases for different groups. Uh, we want to like maximize those differences. And, and you said there's four uh, ways or approaches or KPIs? Oh, like phases. So like, you know, phase zero is like, okay, you actually have to be up and running. Test nets, you need the test nets to work. If you're proof of stake, you need the stake to work. If you're a delegated proof of stake, you need the delegation to work. All of that core foundational stuff, uh, you know, we do that. We do test nets and things like that. We we want blockchains to launch and we want it to launch well. We want to be one of the early people making blocks and being good at it because we want those ascents of the line. Um, after that, you know, it's getting developers, getting growth, measuring growth. A lot of people love GitHub commit measurements. It's not my favorite metric. I look at contracts deployed or programs deployed because um, those cost money. And when people are willing to pay money to deploy a contract, you know they're serious. Um, my background's economics, so I care a lot about that economic value of the settlement, things like that. Um, once you have contracts and protocols, you know, you not just want to have them grow and have user growth, you also need to govern them. Um, you know, we have an ecosystem team that's deep in governance across all the ecosystems. You've probably seen proposals that we've made. Um, some pass, some don't. It's, we're deep in like everywhere that we can be on like expertise that we have on tokenomics designs. Um, not really airdrop designs, but we have helped airdrops like when they've broken and we've come and fixed them. Uh, and then phase four is, you know, just like monitoring and continual growth and measurement and keeping things on track. Um, similar to the data science pyramid, which we're not going to talk about right now, but so sorry, data science pyramid is just the foundation is like what happened, like how many, then you go up a level and it's like, okay, well, how often, or like, is it predictable? Give me like the average, or you go level up, okay, now forecast it, give me prediction and top of the pyramid where you get into like the artificial intelligence, machine learning that the idea there is not that you just have AI. The idea is you have an expectation that's driven by data and deviations from that expectation are signal and that's the top of the pyramid when deviations from expectations are telling you something whether it be like oh crap like the last 180 days Mir's daily active user count has gone up like 15x in the last 180 days they're just they're just hitting a product market fit in an emerging market with an app um so when you have a deviation from expectation it's telling you something you're not going to be able to get there if you're counting the number of transactions per day like those are two different levels of data and those are two different levels of KPIs, two different levels of maturity. Um, so that's why we try to think of it in phases as we help blockchains get to that phase eventually. And ultimately like the, those four phases are each means to an end, the end being product, product market fit. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, so chains have their own product market fit and then protocols on those chains have their own product market fit. And sometimes they conflict. A lot of my researchers in Uniswap, for example, you do the math, right? Uniswap token holders haven't gotten a lot of revenue. I don't think they've gotten much of any. The LPs get revenue from fees, but really the big winner is ETH, the layer one, which gets the transaction fees. So 
you know, when people make jokes about, like, oh, well, eventually they'll be their own chain. They'll be an app chain. We're going to have an app chain future. They're hitting at this reality that, like, the goals of the chain might be different than the goals of the protocol, and they can conflict. And that causes downstream questions that you have to answer. So we're we're not trying to pick winners. We're trying to figure out how everyone can just get to that future state on a timeline that makes sense for them. Yeah, and also also helping projects construct and think think through the future state because it's going to be different depending on each project. You kind of help like present the questions and the data to help them measure like what their ideal state is in terms of like math and numbers and then also uh, the framework to help them get there. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of the time, and I don't say this in a negative way, but like when you have a new chain or something and it's a small group and they get funded, right? Like it's hard to build that team and let alone building that team that knows how to do product and data and engineering and DevRel, let alone having that skill set and also the crypto skill set. So for us, because we're so into the data, we try really hard to grow that analyst community that I mentioned into being so crypto savvy that they can be planted at these foundations and be useful. A lot of the time, again, nothing negative, and I don't see it that often, but you hear about projects or chains and they have a lot of like, oh, XBCG, X McKinsey, X Consulting, which is very powerful, but they're powerful in mature firms. And we're in like a startup world where like you might have the lead of data somewhere who isn't super deep into crypto. And that's okay. We need to be that crypto expertise for them. And in the best case scenarios, we do get to plant people from our community into being the leads of data at these foundations. Um, that's the full cycle. If we can get there, that's like the dream scenario. Yeah. Have you been able to hit that full cycle with any of the projects that you've worked with? Yeah. I mean, we have ambassadors. That's like a separate program where like people from our community who just specialize in a specific chain, they literally just get paid to study that chain and their, their entire goal is to do top of funnel. So make dashboards that are about current events or make dashboards that are canonical. Like this is what you, this, this is the dashboard for that protocol. This dashboard is linked on their website. It's what they consider the source of truth. Um, and in the best case scenarios, yeah, we have had people from our community go rise the ranks and they end up in the foundations in the very lead data roles where they almost become our customer because they went through us and we just have that depth of relationship. Um, so yeah, that's a dream scenario. We've had it a few times, not as much as we like. Obviously, we want it everywhere. Yeah, and and then what what um. What what is the thing if if you can point to like one or maybe a couple of things that you've seen that really move the needle for these chains? Obviously, a lot of them are different. There's nuances in their goals and in their KPIs and how they achieve those. Is there a common pattern that you've seen that if a chain will do this collection of things, they tend to achieve their goals? Yeah. So at a high level, um, there's kind of two distinct paths. There's one. There's the data side of curation. Every chain makes data. That's not enough. Um, and for two reasons. And I'm going to use a theory of an example. When a contract emits an event, it's telling you whatever it wants to tell you. It doesn't have to tell you the truth. And we do see it. We do see contracts that because of errors or because of just weird ways of implementing a certain function, they deviate from a standard. You can check the state difference or the trace and you find, oh, like they say this happened, but when you actually check the blockchain, that didn't happen. Um, and with that, when I say that, what I'm saying is like, you have to curate the truth, not just curating like the results or statements or logs of the blockchain. So for us, if you go to our studio, for example, you'll see 
you know, some like 20 different chains. Every single one, you'll see almost the exact same schema. Core. This is like the actual event, the facts, the transaction hash, the boring, nitty-gritty ingredients. Okay, now DeFi, we've curated the swaps for you. Um, NFTs, we've curated the mints, the sales, the transfers. Uh, governance, okay, we've curated the delegations, the staking, uh, and price data. Okay, we've integrated, like, synthesized prices from a variety of price feeds so you can have token prices. Those Only one of those things that I said is, like, from the chain directly. The and, it, and it's the bottom layer of the DeFi, of the yeah. data science pyramid? Yeah, the fact. Like, the core, like, this contract said this. And that's all you get. Um, and some of the time it's like, you can't read it. It's like 0x00 said 0399 to contract 0x. Well, like, like a human can't read that. So the work that we do to curate, I mean, labeling, we have a billion labels or something like that across all the chains. Like, so you know, hey, this contract is a pool. It's a Uniswap pool. It's a this Uniswap pool. It has this fee. Like all those numbers have to be like brought in so that you have a nice clean row. So half of the work is just that. Half the work is, can you make the data about your chain and protocol usable to regular people? The second half is like, okay, well, now your data is clean. You need to get people paying attention. Like, what do people care about? They care about what's popular, what's growing, what's fast. So, you know, I'm going to shout out Nier for a second. Nier's worked really hard on something called the BOS, the Blockchain Operating System. And it's their mechanism to say, hey, you come to our site and you want to know what's happening built on like flip side data and I think other data as well. Like this is what's happening. These are the contracts that are most popular. This is what people are doing. This is how many they're doing. This is like links to the top projects. Um, and having these stats available where the end user is, not in a dashboard that you have to go five click from Twitter to our dashboard site, then you click the link from our, every click is 50% of users lost. So putting that data and that knowledge where users are is the second part of the puzzle. Um, and yeah, in the best case scenarios, having like really clean curated data has meant a world of difference for people who are like a small DEX who want to convince professional market makers to LP there. Hey, like you, you know, if you're a market maker with like 100 million in assets under management and only 20 million is allowed to be in crypto, you're only going to pick so many DEXs and you have to make sure any tokens you trade, you're hedging on Coinbase or Binance or whatever. So like you're you're very limited on where you're going to play in DeFi if you're playing in DeFi at all. So for the protocols trying to capture like the attention of these whales, you think the whale is going to go click a random dashboard on Flipside? No way. Like maybe they'll go to like a website, but you got to you have to have it ready. You have to have it ready in your pitches and your email and your marketing. Uh, and it's critical for them. It's critical for them to have it curated, clean, easy, refreshing automatically, so they can use it. Um, and we've seen some success. And your mental model for this data science structure and the mental model for Flipside's bu business structure is very similar. So I find like particularly cool because it's a common mental model that you apply to both schema on the, the technical and then also the business. Is there a general mental model that you have that kind of underpins both of those? Uh, I think that at a high level, it's just that everything's a spectrum. Like I really don't really believe in like binary stuff. Like some people say like, oh, this is popular. It's not popular. Well, that token's going to go up. It's not going to go up. And like, I find that if you're more tolerant of like the spectrum of potential results, you can have a more fine tuned idea of like, okay, like this is not great, but it's on track or this is bad and it's horribly off track. And like having like going from binary to like even just four 
potential states just makes like it makes planning a lot easier it brings you closer to reality of like what might happen um and it just makes it easier to game plan like for us like you know if a chain goes down or if like one of our infrastructure things go down like we're sourcing from so many places that we've already had those backup plans so we're not going to be in a scenario where like oh yeah that's just broken it's like okay let's this piece of that is broken the price feeds are broken but the token transfers are not broken so like you know we don't want we don't want to be one or zero and yeah. that's the main model is like try to have four plus scenarios for anything it's very cool it uh it involves uh redundancy liveness and it applies a lot of these things that we hear in these panels and these talks that apply to blockchain networks to a business and a business network which is a network of people and there's still something at stake, whether it's time or it's money that's flowing back and forth. Yeah, I mean, in terms of business liveness, like I think that is a very transferable concept. Um, you know, I, my background before crypto was monitoring like Ebola in like East Africa for, um, you know, public health clients uh, and also like childhood blood lead poisoning. And in that world, data is very, very small. So like we had very difficult situations with liveness because for us it was like, you don't find out about a situation until after it's happened, months after it's happened. Um, and that affects the entire business because like, well, how do you stop an outbreak if it's, you know, three months later and you just now found out? I don't want to bring up COVID, but like that's a, that's a more common example people have. But I saw it from lead and Ebola and radon and other problems. So I mean, yeah, liveness, censorship resistance comes up. I mean, who's allowed to submit data to governments about health? Um, why only them? What are the minimum requirements to even submit that data? Is it better to have partial than none? Um, sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes partial is like actually messes up your conception. Um, so yeah, I mean, a lot of these concepts fit in a lot of different places. Um, that's my consulting side coming out of trying to reuse a word in a different context. But yeah, it's cool. No, I mean this. Uh, this is interesting, particularly to me because I was speaking to this guy from Cybers AI. And they do on-chain monitoring. Mm -hmm. Basically, they're able to, or they claim that they're able to uh, detect malicious events uh, way before a protocol can, like at the at like the state level. And then also, uh, there's other companies that are out there which um, actually uh, use MEV and flash loans to front run malicious yep. hackers, hack the protocol themselves as a white hat, and then offer the funds back for a small commission and explain the, the I see uh, that I feel that happened actually. I've seen yeah. it live. Uh it wasn't I mean I've seen a lot of pet shield alerts, but they're that's not what they do. I forgot who did it. But yeah, um the way you do that right in the data pipeline is everything I said about data, it also exists in the mempool. So before the transaction's confirmed when it's just ready to be ready to be planted. You can monitor that mempool because nodes are talking to each other when they say, Hey I have a transaction, here it is note that this transaction is available if you're one of the nodes or you're listening to that gossip you can see these features and when i say feature i mean in the data sense you can imagine a column in a table is it a flash loan yes is the address new yes is this address funded by tornado in the last 48 hours yes okay well you're starting to have a lot of yeses and sketchy columns now this gives you an opportunity to be worried and then what you do next is okay like, what transaction did they submit who did they submit it to Okay, they submitted it to Flashbots. Where you know they're friendly. They're not gonna like. They're not gonna necessarily censor a transaction. They're not gonna hide a transaction unless you do it with a private relay. So that's when you get an opportunity to say, okay, 
They submitted what is clearly a hack at this gas. I'm going to 10x that gas and send it to Flashbots first. And Flashbots will put mine first. So I get to front run the hack. Um, and some of that's not off tank. Like, it's not like they're like, have this agreement to do it. It's because like the mechanisms are available to do that. Um, and the reason I bring that up is like, it's possible. Like, it's possible to do all of this very advanced machine learning and forecasting in mempools. Um, and even if you do before then, which is where I think the government's trying to go with like pushing wallets and RPC nodes, RPC endpoints or whatever, to like know their customer, quote unquote, is that if an IP address from North Korea, you wouldn't have this, if an IP address from North Korea sends a sketchy transaction, you know, it should be blocked not because of a white hat, it should just not make it to the nodes at all, or the nodes shouldn't propagate it. That's what the government wants to see if they knew the technology well enough. That's the kind of stuff they'd want to see. Uh, it's not related. Yeah, and, and I think uh, I mean, the first point, also the incentive mechanism for business model, which is kind of shocking to me, was that they would front run these hacks, which is obviously saving the protocol a ton of money, and then they'd basically hold the funds ransom and negotiate some sort of commission with, with mm -hmm. the, not like, I mean, perhaps it's predetermined, right? But, but there's very little like upfront payment. It's like, yo, if something happens, we're going to front run it, and then we'll get X, Y, and Z amount. But anyways, kind of moving towards uh flip side with with this and kind of summing this all up are you guys using ai or these kind of like machine learning within your data structures and if so how so i mean right now it's just pipelining and testing so like you don't really need it for something like is the data missing right like if you don't have data you don't have it you don't like in other business contexts you do something called imputation we're like oh like hey i don't have the number of sales for this product that day but I need a number of some kind for my math to work, get the average of the last seven or do some fancy forecasting to info that number. That's like the classic use. One of the classic use cases of AI and machine learning is like fixing data errors with like imputation. Some data scientists hate that, but whatever. Sometimes it's actually really good and useful. In our case, like you won't see us do that because we're like looking for prices and stuff from sources. Um, where we see AI as useful um, in our business specifically, you know, you use AI all the time and you don't even notice it. So that's where we're trying to fit in. So like if you're writing a SQL query and it breaks, um, Dune has this shout out to them, Dune Wand and their Dune AI. You know, if your query breaks, having a button that says fix query that uses AI to read your code, read the data tables you're trying to parse and make an educated guess on why your code didn't break and that's something new, that kind of text-based natural language fixing with AI, very plausible future for a lot of different protocols. Um, not just flip side, not just Dune. Uh, other AI use cases, like we said, monitoring, that's not super in our wheelhouse. The things that I see as useful for AI are really the educational side of like, great, you have data. Uh, do you know how to use it? Because what's going to happen, and you already see this, people say like, oh, look, we have AI. Come talk to us. Use natural language. What's the number of users on this chain on this day? You don't really need AI for that. You could just like, you almost write that SQL directly yourself. But there is a world where people want AI to translate their ideas into like computer code. That is an extremely large gap that it, or anything that's not a toy example is extremely difficult. So what we're trying to do is integrate AI for things like search. Um, you have an idea, you want to, you want to have an idea for a dashboard, or you have a question. We don't want to just make up code that might not fit your use case. We want to link you to analysts who've done that research or have done similar research or link you to dashboards that answer your question partially. 
so that we're not using AI to make you do more work, duplicative work. It's to help you discover, kind of like Google, right? You're just discovering things that are relevant to you. So that's what we think of AI mostly is just like, how do we get people maximizing the resources that already exist as opposed to using AI to duplicate work? Yeah, sweet. Um, gonna kind of wrap up here, but what's the most DGEN use case for uh, me as a retail power user of Flipside? I'm going to maximize my DJing on chain with Flipside. So I have a Flipside Pro account, which I use, which lets me bring like a bunch of data out of the system. And I actually built my own API in R to do uh, forecasting for Uniswap. So pretty much every day, every 24 hours, I get like recent volume weighted average pricing across a bunch of Uniswap pools. I do forecasts on them. I test those forecasts. And the output is a recommended high price, low price and allocation between like ETH and Bitcoin. So I just like funnel in the data, extract it. And on a schedule, it tells me, hey, we think the not it's not really a forecast of like the price. It's a forecast of the highest profit range possible. Because in Uniswap V3, the tighter the range, the more fees you get. So that's where like, some of, not AI, but that's where some of like the really fancy math comes in of using our data, integrating into another system and getting like a really easy number. So for me, I actually used it for Harry Potter Obama token. Sorry. For sure. Things going to a dollar. Uh, do, you, do you ever use Gelato to automate smart contracts? Because if you have that, you could like somehow automate the smart contracts based on that the, that data set every 24 hours on L2. You just have like a, a bot working for you, basically. I've been thinking a lot about L2 arbitrage, but not arbitrage, but it's not, it doesn't have a, typically arbitrage is a zero execution risk. It's atomic, like buy here, sell here, or don't do anything. I've been thinking more about like, okay, if these prices are deviating on different L2s because they have different liquidity, and I know that they mean revert in this way, I should just be buying on op, selling on ARB, and being okay with like the risk of holding ETH on accident. Like, there's, there are people doing it, but because people are thinking in a traditional finance mindset of like, don't have exposure risk to the underlying asset, if you're not scared of that, there's like a lot you can do, to your point. Um, Definitely not scared of that. Yeah, I'm not scared of holding ETH. Did I answer your question? I forgot your question. I use Gelato. Yeah, I have a, it's all good. I launched a project on ETH mainnet that uses Gelato to automate the uh, curve gauge rewards, for example. Cool. Cool. It's a pleasure to be in your company, Mr. Brig Big Brain. I appreciate your time. And uh, shout out to DevConnect. Shout out to Osnap and Uma for gasless governance. Shout out to Flipside. And I'll flip this side now. And a second shout out to Uma for uh, Across also, because Across is like, this shouting out a data thing I found out recently, there's no bridge that has as much volume per TVL as Across. And it's like not close. Like, the, go check out that stat. Absolutely based. If you want to find more stats, go to Flipside and get your Flipside on. Thanks all. Bye. Bye.